Well, this morning we're continuing in our Soul Detox series, and, and uh, we are on the last section of this series, and we're talking about, we're talking about uh, um, uh, toxic influences. And last week we started in this section, and, and Pastor Dick talked about the, the toxic influence of culture, and how, how we live in a culture that, that can be a, a negative influence in our lives. And this morning we're going to continue and look at these, uh, the, these toxic influences, and we're going to look at relationships and how relationships can can be a toxic influence in our lives and so this morning i I want you to um to think back to elementary school can you think back to elementary school i know for some of us it might be a little bit longer than others but but think back to elementary school and think who were your best friends in elementary school who who were those best friends in elementary school it's I have two children, Haley and Zachary, are now in elementary school, and so, and so we're experiencing the elementary school friend deal, and, and, and I, love, I, I, lo- I love Haley. She loves her friends, and I'm so thankful that Haley has a great group of friends, and, and these little ladies, they have it all planned out. Uh, they have it all figured out what they're going to do. They're, you know, they're, they're going to graduate from high school, and then they're going to go to LBC together. And they're going to be roommates together. And then they're going to get an apartment and live together. They have it all planned out. Uh, they have it all figured out that, that, that of how their life is going to go. But uh, can you think about those friends that you had in elementary school? I mean, those are some great friends and some good times. But now let's move on to think about middle school and high school. Can you think who you were close to in middle school and high school? Sometimes what happens in, in those situations is maybe some of your elementary school friends move away. Or, or maybe you start to have some different interests. And so maybe your friendships and relationships change. Uh, but can you think of those people that were close to you in high school? Now move on a little bit, a little bit more and, and think about when you went to college or as a young adult. Who were your close friends? Uh, Dan and I had the opportunity last weekend. We were, we were sitting in an Outback Steakhouse. And it had been a while since we'd been in an Outback Steakhouse. And we sat there and we were thinking about college. And we were thinking about our college friends, Amy and Jason. Amy was Dana's roommate, and Jason was one of my good friends. And they, they dated for a while, so we double-dated quite a bit. And Jason loved to go to Outback. And so we went to Outback Steakhouse a while, for a long time and, uh, throughout college. And we just sat there and just thought about all of those fun times that we had at Outback Steakhouse with our friends. And now move on and, and think about now. Who are your closest friends? Who are your closest friends? For some of you, you know what? You're lucky enough that your close friends in elementary school continue to be your friends through high school, through your young adult years, till even now you're still close. But for, for others of us, you know, we, our, our friends change as our season of life changes, as we move and, 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 and go different places and go different directions. But one thing is true. God created us all to be relational beings. He created us to, to be in relationship with him and with other people. And you know what? No man is an island. We are wired for relationships. We're wired for relationships. And because of that, friendship is a big part of our lives. It's a huge part of our lives. It, it has an impact on our careers, on our marriages, on our families, on our children, and even on our health, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So this week, we're going to look at relationships. We're going to look at friendships. And, and, and what we're really going to look at is, are they poisonous or are they positive? 
Do our relationships have a toxic influence? Are they poisonous or are they positive? Are, are our friends toxic or are they true? And this week, as I was, as I was studying for, for this morning, I came across an article on WebMD. And this is the actual the name of the article, How to Handle Toxic Friends. It's on WebMD. Who knew? I guess it's a medical disorder or something like that. But uh, uh, Florence, Florence Isaacs, the author of Toxic Friends, or Toxic Friends, True Friends, explains that a, a toxic friendship is unsupportive, it's draining, it's unrewarding, it's stifling, it's unsatisfying, and often unequal. Toxic friends stress you out, use you, are unreliable, are overly demanding, and don't give anything back. Uh, further on in the article, it quotes uh, uh, Jen Berman, who is a, uh, a psychologist from California, and says, a toxic friend is someone who, after spending time with them, makes you feel bad, and makes you feel bad about yourself instead of good. Someone who tends to be critical of you, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in not-so-subtle ways. A friend who drains you emotionally, financially, mentally, and they're not very good for you toxic friends. And we might not think it matters who we spend time with. You know, we might think, you know what, I, I'm my own person. Uh, no one controls me. Uh, I make my own choices, and we're accountable for our own choices. But you know what? The people, the friends in our lives, they influence us. Whether we recognize it or not, they have a huge influence in our lives. And if the majority of our close relationships are with people living a life displeasing to God, more often than not, they will bring us down long before we bring them up. I can, never, I can never forget an illustration that our youth pastor did when I was in high school. And he pulled out a chair, and, and he, 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 he stepped on top of a chair, and he asked someone to come up and, and see if he could pull them up on the chair with him. And they couldn't do that. And then he asked that person to try to pull him off the chair. And of course, they pulled him right off the chair. And his point was this, you know what? More often than not, people pull us down instead of us pulling them up. If we make, wrong, if we make the, the wrong kinds of friends, there'll be a negative influence in our life more often than not than a positive influence. And so this morning, we're going to look at our relationships, and we're going to really answer the question, are they poisonous or are they positive? So let's look at poisonous relationships. And the first thing to keep in mind about poisonous relationships is this, bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. In 1 Corinthians 15, 13, Paul said, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And you know what? I think Paul began with this, do not be misled, because when it comes to hanging out with the wrong kinds of people, so many of us become, misle become misled. And then we become tolerant. And after we become tolerant, then we become corrupted by those around us. And so Paul says, hey, get one thing straight. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be fooled. It's important that you realize that, you know what, if you hang out with bad people, with people that are bad influenced, they will have a poisonous effect on your life. And so as we think about poisonous relationships, I think there's three main types of poisonous relationships. There, there are three main types. The first one is the chronic critics. The chronic critics, they, fall, they find fault in everything. They find fault in everything. The chronically negative person wears on you, dragging you down day after negative day. 
Day after day, it's something negative. Day after day, it's, it's finding fault. Their criticism is never constructive. Their judgmental spirit breaks your heart. Their gossip infects your opinion of others. Some people have the spiritual gift of encouragement. These have the unholy gift of complaining. Over time, the chronically negative can pull, even, can pull down even the most positive person. The, const, the constant critics. Think about your relationships. Do you have someone in, in your close relationships who, who complain nonstop? And think about when you're around them. Do you find it to be tedious or do you just join in? But the first type of poisonous relationship is the constant critics. The second type is this, the controllers. They're overbearing, forcing their way and opinion upon you. The controllers. And you know what? It may start small at first. They may choose, you know, hey, what what restaurant you're going to go eat at or or what you're going to do that evening. They may start small, but after a while it grows. And And soon they're picking your friends They're picking the college you go to, they're picking who you're going to marry, and they're picking your career. Uh, These people just want to control you. They want to manipulate you. They they know what's best for you, so they're going to control your actions. They're going to try to make you do what they want you to do. This causes you to feel like you're losing your personal identity. And after a while, you can't even make the simplest decision for yourself. It's just too difficult. You, you always surrender and compromise to avoid confrontation with the controllers. Do you have any controllers in your life? People who, who know that they know better than you. So they're always telling you, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. That's the second type of poisonous relationship. The third type is this, the tempters. The tempters, they encourage you to do things that you know you shouldn't do and wouldn't do on your own. They encourage you to do things that you know you shouldn't do and you wouldn't do on your own. But all of a sudden, when you're around them, you start to make some bad decisions. They may start small, encouraging us to compromise in the small areas in hopes that once we start compromising, we'll continue to do so. Once we start making those small compromises, then it'll lead to bigger compromises. They tempt us into making bad choices. These are, the, these are the people that tell you everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. You won't get caught. Those are the tempters. Do you have any tempters in the close relationships in your life? If you do, they're very, they can be very, very poisonous. So the constant critics, the controllers, the tempters, these are all types of poisonous relationship. Now, please Don't misunderstand me here. I am not saying that we should not have relationships with people who don't know Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying. We celebrated this morning because LaVon had a heart for her friend Luann, and and she, she established a relationship with her so that she could be a positive influence in Luann's life, not, a, so that, that, not that Luann would be a negative influence in her life. And so it's important that, that you realize that what I'm saying is, you know, we need to have relationships with those people who don't know Jesus Christ. But in all of our relationships, we need to monitor them very carefully to see in every relationship, is this a positive relationship or is it a poisonous relationship? And if it's a poisonous relationship, then we need to redefine that relationship. Maybe we need to set some boundaries 
Maybe we, we, we need to uh, maybe not spend so much time with them, not cutting off the relationship totally, but maybe just redefining that relationship. And you know what? If that relationship is so poisonous, and even if you redefine that relationship and you still find yourself compromising and making bad choices, then maybe you need to make the tough choice and say, you know what? This relationship isn't good, and I need to move on. I need to move on for, for my own health. But those are poisonous relationships. And I just don't want to, to look on the negative this morning. I want to look at positive relationships because, uh, because I think it's important that, that, that we focus on the positive. And in positive relationships, you know what? Good company encourages good character. Good company encourages good character. It says in Proverbs 12, 26, it says this, A righteous man is, cautioned, is cautious in friendship. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. I, I love that verse. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. You know what this tells me? You know what? Good company encourages good character. You know what? A, a wise person makes wise choices in the people that they associate with, the relationships that they make. They realize that, you know what? A negative relationship, poisonous relationship, toxic relationships will, will lead them astray, will draw them away from God. And so a wise person makes a wise choice when it comes to friendship. And this morning, we're going to spend the rest of our time in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 14. And we're going to look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to look at his friends that, that, that he lists here. And you know what? Paul chose his friends wisely. He knew about the importance of making the right kind of friends. And, and here in the last section of, of Colossians, as he nears in what likelihood is the, is the end of his life, he talks about some of the friends that he made throughout his life and what they meant to him personally and what they meant to his ministry. His friends were more than acquaintances to Paul. They were, they were partners in ministry. They served alongside each other. God used Paul to accomplish tremendous spiritual victories throughout his life, but Paul didn't accomplish these victories alone. He was a leader of a group of close friends who worked as a team under the leadership and empowerment of their Heavenly Father. And together they accomplished far more than Paul could have ever accomplished on his own. And so we're going to look at Paul's life, we're going to look at his friends and, and the fact that he knew it was important to choose friends wisely. And we're going to look at five characteristics uh, that Paul chose in his friends. You know, and the first one, you know, Paul chose friends that, number one, selflessly served God. In Colossians 4, 7, and 8, we are introduced to Tychicus. Tychicus will, is, is one of the first friends he lists. And in, in verse 7, it says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. So here Paul describes Tychicus as a dear brother. He was a believer. He was part of God's family. But he also says he's a faithful minister and a fellow servant. Not only did Tychicus minister to Paul, but he ministered alongside Paul. They ministered together hand in hand. Uh, now, as you'll see as we go through these, these friends, you'll see that Paul not only chose friends wisely, he chose friends with some strange names. And, and, uh, but, but hang in there. We'll, we'll try to get through them. But some background about Tychicus, because we don't know a whole lot about him. But, but in, you know, we first meet him in Acts 20. 
Paul was in Ephesus near the end of his third missionary journey. He's preparing to travel back to Jerusalem, and Tychicus was one of the men that was going to accompany Paul. He was going to go along with Paul as he traveled back to Jerusalem. His willingness to travel with Paul shows his servant's heart, because travel in the ancient world was far more difficult and dangerous than today. They weren't going to hop on a plane. They weren't going to, you know, you know uh, charter a, a bus or anything like that. They're going to have to walk. It was much more difficult and dangerous than today. And this trip would be demanding. It would take him away from his family, from his friends, from his job, from his church. And yet Tychicus was glad to go. He was a faithful servant. And, and here in, in Colossians 4, we see that Paul gives Tychicus a mission. He's in Rome with Paul during his imprisonment. And because of his proven loyalty to Paul, Paul had an important task for Tychicus, to deliver the letter to, Col- to the Colossians. Not only does he carry the book of Colossians, but he carries Ephesians and Philemon as well. Think about it. Paul entrusts his dear friend with three books of the Bible to carry three books of the Bible. And you know what? This just wasn't a little voyage that, that he was going to go on. The, the trip from Rome would be a difficult one. Tychicus would have to, to walk across Italy. He would have to walk across Italy and then sail across the Adriatic Sea and then walk across Greece and then sail across the Aegean Sea. And then, and then he would land in Asia Minor and he had to walk about 100 miles to Colossae. All in all, that's about 1,000 miles land over land and sea. It taken about two months. And Tychicus was willing to go. He was willing to go. And not only did he deliver the book of Colossians, but Tychicus would update them on Paul's situation, his circumstances, and he would encourage them in their faith. He was Paul's faithful messenger. And this may sound glamorous. It may sound, hey, you know, Paul's a pretty important guy, so this is a pretty important position But think about it. Because of Paul's stand for Christ, he had a lot of enemies. This was not a glamorous position. Because Paul had a lot of enemies, Tychicus would naturally have those same enemies. Because Paul, you know, was was in prison, he was sending Tychicus out to, to deliver these letters. He had to travel all over the place. It wasn't an easy situation, but Tychicus served willingly. He selflessly served God. And you know what? We should choose friends who will serve God with us. We should choose friends who will serve God with us. Not friends that will serve us, but friends who will serve God with us. You know, we're talking about thinking about our closest friends, and as as I think about my closest friends, you know who my closest friends are? They're the people who have served with me in student ministry for the last number of years. That's my closest friends. Uh, they're, they're the people that not only do we, do we serve together, but you know what? We, it, it goes beyond that. We started serving together, and now we share our lives together. But if we're going to pick positive friends, we should pick friends who selflessly serve God, whose focus is on serving God and not themselves. It's an important characteristic for our friends to have. You know, Paul also chose friends who humbly sought forgiveness. And now we see his friend Onesimus. In Colossians 4.9, it says, He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, 
they will tell you everything that is happening here. Again, Paul describes Onesimus as a dear brother. He was a believer. He was part of God's family. And he says he's a faithful brother. So Onesimus had proven faithful to Paul. And he says he is one of you. He is a Colossian. He is one of you. Now, we all know the background of Onesimus probably. He was the man with a sinful past. He was the unfaithful runaway slave whose return to his master was, was the theme of the book of Philemon. And so, so Onesimus was this runaway slave. Philemon was one of the leaders of the Colossian church, and it's likely that the church met in his home. Onesimus had been a slave in Philemon's household until he ran away and made his way to Rome. And in Rome, who does he bump into? Paul. He somehow runs into Paul, and Paul shares the gospel with him and leads him to Christ. And now Onesimus is returning to Colossae and to his master. And Paul is writing uh, to Philemon. He's urging Philemon to forgive Onesimus for running away from him and to welcome Onesimus as one of them, a brother in Christ. I can imagine Paul, uh, you know, uh, Paul saying, Onesimus, you're going to go back to Colossae. Uh, you're going to go back there. And, and, and you know what? Onesimus could have said, you know what? I'm not going back there. But you know what? I think Onesimus was humble enough to realize, you know what? I need to go back there. I need to go back there because I need to make things right. I need to seek forgiveness for Philemon. And so just like Tychicus, Onesimus had the, had the mission of delivering the book of Colossians, but he, he would also update uh, the people of Colossae about Paul's situation and circumstances and encourage them in their faith. But Onesimus humbly sought God's forgiveness. He sought forgiveness from God. He sought forgiveness from Philemon. He was willing to do that. And you know what? We should choose friends who are humble enough to admit their mistakes and seek forgiveness. Have you ever been around someone who knows everything? Who's perfect, who, who never does anything wrong? Do you like being around those people? They drive me nuts. I mean, they, they just, they irritate me to no end. And, and because, you know, whether or not they, they realize it or not, we know it's not true. Uh, we know they're just like us. They make mistakes too. But, you know, we need to choose friends who are humble enough to admit mistakes and seek forgiveness. They're the kind of friends that we need to have because, you know what, that's what we need to do. Because when we make mistakes, when we blow it, we need to do the same thing. We shouldn't act like we have it all together, that we're perfect, that we know everything. So we need to choose friends who are humble enough to admit mistakes and seek forgiveness. Again, Paul chose friends who faithfully stayed committed. And now we're introduced to three more of his friends, Aristarchus, John, Mark, and Justice. And in Colossians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, it says this, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. Paul describes Aristarchus as a fellow prisoner. And this is, this is really interesting. I love this guy, Aristarchus, because you know what? Paul is the prisoner in Rome. Aristarchus is not the prisoner. But you know what? Aristarchus cared and loved for Paul so much that he willingly volunteered to be confined with Paul in prison so he could serve Paul, so he could be there and help Paul, that he could try to help Paul's needs. He gave up his freedom to minister to Paul. This tells about his sympathetic 
caring heart. This, what an amazing guy. Could you imagine yourself doing that to one of your friends? Willingly saying, you know what, I give up my freedom to be confined with you because I love you so much. Because I, I, I want to I serve you. I want to help you. He's an incredible, incredible guy. The background about Aristarchus was he was a Jewish believer. He first appeared on the scene during Paul's three-year ministry at Ephesus. And, and he was seized by a rioting, mom, a rioting mob who recognized him as one of Paul's companions in Acts 19. So he was seized by a mob in Acts 19. In Acts 20, he, he accompanies Paul on his return trip to Jerusalem. In Acts 27, he makes his way on the voyage to Rome with Paul. And we know that that voyage had a shipwreck. Uh, Aristarchus is with Paul through all of these things. Everywhere that Aristarchus accompanied Paul, there was trouble. Yet he remained faithful to Paul. He remained faithful to Paul. And in, in, in spite of all that trouble... Paul goes on in, in verses 10 and 11, he talks about John Mark, and he describes him as a fellow worker, someone who was serving the same Savior with him. And, 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 and the background about John Mark is that, you know what, he wasn't always the committed servant that Aristarchus was. He was a companion of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, and he deserted them when the going got tough. In Acts 13, 13, it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John, Mark, when, when things got tough, he deserted them. And that would lead to some friction between Paul and Barnabas. When they got ready to go on their, their second missionary journey, Barnabas says, hey, let's take John, Mark along. And Paul says, no way. He is not committed. I am not taking him along. And because of that, we know that Paul and Barnabas kind of split. Uh, because of that disagreement, they split and they went their own ways. But fortunately, the story doesn't end there for John Mark. By the time Paul wrote Colossians, John Mark had become a, he became a changed man. He'd been restored to usefulness, probably through the ministry of Peter, who himself understood what it was like to be a failure. So he'd been restored to ministry. He'd been restored to usefulness. And, and Paul told the Colossians that if John Mark came to them, they were to obey his instructions and to welcome him. They were not to shun him because of his previous failure. We might call John Mark the man with a second chance. And he was the living testimony of God's ability to use failures. And in fact, later, he'd have the opportunity shared by only three men in history to write one of the Gospels. To write one of the Gospels. John Mark, he was, he was faithful. He, 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 when the going got tough, he, he didn't give up. And finally, there's, there's this man by the name of Justice. And Paul describes him too as a fellow worker, someone who was serving God with him together. And there's not a whole lot known about this guy uh, named Jesus who was called Justice, apart from this verse. Jesus is the Greek f form of the word uh, for Joshua, and it means Savior. That's a pretty big title to live up to. But justice is a Latin word, and it means righteous. And so it tells us, at some level, he, he did live up to that name. He, he was a righteous man. And, and so here we see Jesus, Justice, and John, Mark, and Aristarchus were Paul's only fellow workers who were Jewish. Only fellow workers who were Jewish. The lack of response from his fellow Jews must have grieved Paul's heart. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem rejected his message, and they plotted to kill him. 
Much of the opposition that he received on his missionary journeys were from his fellow countrymen. And here, Justice, along with Aristarchus and John Mark, proved to comfort and encourage Paul. And you know why? Because they were willing to leave their people, the Jews, to identify with Paul, which demonstrated their strong commitment. They were willing to take a stand alongside Paul for Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost. Aristarchus, John Mark, and Jesus Justice faithfully stayed committed. They faithfully stayed committed. Through the good times and bads, they faithfully stayed committed. And we need to choose friends that stay committed through tough times. I read a quote this week. It said this, A real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. A real friend is is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. And I want you to think about a tough time in your life. Think about a difficult situation that you were facing, a a difficult time in your life, and think about those people who walked with you in that difficult time. Those people who were there with you during that difficult time to help you get through it. And you know what? Those are true friends. Those are positive friends. Those are positive relationships that they stayed committed through tough times. Paul chose friends who were committed. Paul also chose friends that fervently prayed. In verses 12 and 13, we're introduced to Epaphras. It says this, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Areopolis. Again, Paul describes uh, Epaphras as one of you. He's a fellow Colossian and a servant of Jesus Christ. And, and Epaphras, he was the founder of the Colossian church, and most likely he's still the pastor. And he had journeyed to Rome to talk to Paul about the, the news, the dangerous things that were happening at Colossae, the heresy that was being spread that threatened the churches of the Lycus Valley, Laodicea, Areopolis, and Colossae. And here we see that, you know, as, as he went to visit Paul and share this concern, he still played an important role in the ministry. Although separated from them, Epaphras still ministered to the Lycus Valley churches. He did so by working hard, wrestling in prayer. He prayed that they would stand firm in following God's will, knowing that obedience to God's word would produce maturity. In some ways, Epaphras was the living example of the command that Paul gave in in verse 2 of chapter 4 here in Colossians that said, devote yourself to prayer. Epaphras, he was the pastor of the church of Colossae. He wasn't with them, but he was fervently praying for them. He continued to pray for them. His fervent prayers and his single-minded passion for his people's maturity must have greatly encouraged Paul and his co-workers. Epaphras fervently prayed. And you know what? We need to choose friends who will pray for us. We need to choose friends who will pray for us. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times that someone says, hey, will you pray for me? And I say, yeah, sure, I'll pray for you. And I go on with my day and I forget. But you know what? We need to choose friends that will pray for us. And And not just pray for us in the difficult times, when we're facing a difficult situation, that's important. But you know what? We need to have the kind of relationship with the kind of people that they add us to their normal prayer list. 
that they care enough about our lives that they're going to pray for us, that they pray that, that we would honor God with our lives, that we would make wise choices, that we would help raise our kids in a way that brings God honor and glory, that we'd have the type of friends that, you know, that, that just wouldn't pray for us in the bad times, the difficult times, but they would pray for us all the time because they care about us, because they love us enough to pray for us. We need to have friends who will pray for us. Finally, the last type of friend that Paul chose was friends who sacrificially gave. And in Colossians 4.14, we come across Luke. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Paul describes Luke as his dear friend, and we know that Luke was not only Paul's close friend, but he was his personal physician as well. He was a Gentile believer who traveled frequently with Paul on his missionary voyages. Luke is mentioned by name in only two other times in the Old Testament, I mean, in the New Testament, beside this, this case here in Colossians 4. His name appears in Paul's writings from prison in Philemon and 2 Timothy 4. After joining Paul on his second missionary journey, he was with Paul for the most of the remainder of his life. He was his personal physician. He traveled with Paul, taking care of him. Luke was the prototype of, me, of, of, of the medical missionary. Not everyone in the Lord's service has to have a Bible college or seminary degree. God's work needs those who use whatever gifts and abilities they have to serve him. And Luke surrendered his special talent to God. He gave up a lucrative private practice and lifestyle to go with Paul, to be his physician. He could have been a very wealthy, very well-known doctor. And instead, he chose to travel with Paul. By giving all of that up, in return, he had the privilege of writing the Gospel of Luke and Acts and being the beloved companion of Paul. Luke sacrificially gave. You know what? We need to choose friends who are willing to sacrifice for us. And I'm not just talking about friends who will sacrifice their treasure, but we need, to, we need to choose friends who will sacrifice their time and their talents for us because they care enough about us that they're going uh, they're, they're to sacrifice some of those things because we're friends, because they care about us, because they want what's best for us. And, and you know what? Luke wanted what's best for Paul, and he wanted Paul to be able to do all that God wanted him to do, and he knew that he had to be there with Paul. He knew that, you know what, I need to be there. I need to go along and make sure he's healthy and strong so he can accomplish what God wants him to do. As we come to the close of the, uh, verse 14, we, we come across another guy. And, and, you know, Paul wasn't perfect in picking friends because we come across Demas. And if you read 2 Timothy 4, you know that Demas, who was a companion of Paul right now in 2 Timothy 4, abandoned Paul. He abandoned Paul. He, he left him because uh, the lure of the world was greater than, and his desire to follow the world was greater than to serve God. And so he, he, he left Paul. And so, uh, you know, not all of us are going to be great and perfect at judging people's character. Paul even thought Demas was a good friend, but uh, he turned out not to be a good friend. And you know what? The other encouraging thing as I look through these guys, 
Paul didn't pick perfect people either. He wasn't perfect in picking friends. Demas kind of uh, ended up being kind of a poisonous relationship that he had to cut off, but, but he, picked, he didn't pick perfect people either. He chose John, Mark, and Onesimus, two guys that made some big mistakes in their lives, and yet Paul didn't write them off. And he realized, you know what? They may have made some big mistakes, but they learned from their failures, and, those, and that learning would be a great help to me and to my ministry and so they did, he didn't write them off. He didn't say, you know what? Well, you made a mistake. You lose. You're not going to be my friend. He, cho- he, he didn't pick perfect people. But as we look at his friends here in Colossians 4, he did choose friends who selflessly served God, who humbly sought forgiveness, who faithfully stayed committed, who fervently prayed, and who sacrificially gave. And you know what? Those are some good qualities to look for in friends. And those are some good qualities to practice if we want to be a good friend. So in closing this morning, I want to close with two things. First thing I want to ask you to do is evaluate your current friends. Are they poisonous or positive? Remember, bad company corrupts good character, and good company encourages good character. So do your friends encourage you to draw closer to God, or do they pull you further away from him? Do they encourage you to serve God and obey him? Or do they encourage you to serve yourself and disobey him? Our relationships can have a toxic influence in our lives. It's important that we evaluate, are they positive relationships or are they poisonous relationships? What kind of pull are they, are they having on my life? What kind of influence are they giving to my life? And maybe we need to make some adjustments. Maybe we need to set some boundaries. Maybe once we identify, hey, there's some, there's some negative relationships in my life. Maybe we need to make some changes. And the second thing that I, w- I want you to think about and, and remember is this. To, att- to attract good friends, you need to be a good friend. It's easy to walk out of here and, and, and just pass judgment on, on those relationships in our life. It's easy for us to say, well, you know what? Well, this person's a poisonous relationship. This person's a positive relationship. But I believe that God wants us to be positive relationships. I believe that God doesn't want us to be poisonous relationships. And I hope that as, as people are evaluating their friends, that we're not on the poisonous list. But it, it, to attract good friends, you need to be a good friend. And God wants us to put these characteristics that Paul talked about into practice so that we would be a good friend. The people that we spend our time with influence us. They do. And Paul... When we look at his life, we say, he is this superstar. He has done all these great things for God. And as we look at here in Colossians 4, he had a group of people that served alongside with, with him, and they were positive relationships. They were true friends, and they enabled him to do everything that God wanted him to do. And we need to surround ourselves with the same kind of people. Our friends influence us. Let's hope they influence us for the good.